Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Welcome this morning, everyone. Welcome visitors visiting with us. Welcome church family. Welcome back. Those who've come back. Oh, it's so exciting to see faces back again. Oh, that's absolutely wonderful. And... uh, what a, even though it's half a face. Good to see the half a face back. I welcome all those joining us online, our live stream church. We welcome you as well. Thank you for joining us today. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Kings. Old Testament Kings. Go to Kings. First Kings. Go to First Kings with me. I want to talk about a story. There's so many great stories of the Old Testament, and especially in the book of Kings, and stories we need to learn from, and this is such a story. So we're going to come to that in just a moment. I want to prelude it by talking just a little bit. Lori and I, in 30-plus years of ministry, full-time ministry, I've observed a few things about us Westerners. I'm not a world traveler particularly, but I've been around a little bit, and I've made some observations over the years about us Westerners when I compare us with the rest of the world. Some of you who have traveled a lot more, maybe some of you who've immigrated to Canada will maybe testify to this. And here's one of the uniquenesses I have found about us Westerners. We have a lust for living a life of seamless luxury. Us Westerners have a lust for living life life with seamless luxuries. In other words, we want life painless, almost at any cost. And that's why probably one of the most successful industries in the Western society is insurance industries. And in much of the other part of the world, there aren't even any insurance companies. Because we have a passion, desire to live painlessly. We don't want disruptions. We don't want interruptions. We don't want uh, lengthy periods of difficulties in life. We want mountaintop splendors. Now, if you've been to the mountains, there's an expression, you know, uh, wow, that was a mountaintop experience. The idea is it's just an amazing experience. It was a high experience. And there's that desire that if we live there, if we live from blessing to blessing to blessing, then that's all good. However, I've also made another observation that by being people who lust for life's seamless luxuries, we have inadvertently made ourselves into a tribe of weaklings. We cringe at valley-like experiences, the difficult pain. We cringe at valley-like experiences like it's the bubonic plague. So we desire the richness of the mountains, but guess what? The mountains aren't that rich up there. If you've been to mountains, particularly some higher mountains, you'll discover really nothing grows up there. 
The growth all takes place down in the valleys, in the difficulties, the hard times of life. The valleys offers the richness that we need. Mountains might be nice, but we need the valleys. Someone said it this way, from the mountaintops we all view life, but it's from the valleys we all live life. And if we try to avoid those difficulties at all costs, if we try to escape them, if we stick our head in a hole and wait until we get out, you have done such a disservice because richness is developed in your difficulty. I like that expression. From mountaintops, we view life. It's in the valleys, we live life. You know, it's in the valleys where the farms get plowed. It's in the valleys where babies get born, and it's in the valleys we bury our dead. All that happens in the valleys. There's a song written years ago by Dottie Rambo that has been one of my favorites, personal favorites, that I learned, and in times I bring it out. It goes like this. You can read it. Thank you for the valley. I walk. Did you get that? Thank you. Not just God, get me through the valley. Thank you. Everybody say thank you. Okay, that's the, that's the attitude of the heart. Thank you for the valley. I walk through today. The darker the valley, the more I learned to pray. Thank you for every hill I climbed, for every time the sun didn't shine. Thank you for every lonely night I prayed until I knew everything was all right. So, I thank you for the valley I walked through today. Second verse in that song goes, Life can't be all sunshine. All the flowers would die. The rivers would be deserts. Isn't that true? All barren and dry. And life can't be all blessings, or there'd be no need to pray. So thank you for the valley. I walk through today. And then it goes back to the chorus part. Thank you for every hill I climbed. Thank you for every time the sun didn't shine. Thank you for every lonely night. I prayed till I knew everything was all right. So I thank you for the valley I walked through today. That song has sustained me many a time. So I want to take you to a valley story. And it's found in 1 Kings, if you got it, chapter 20. We're going to, it's really, the whole story is from verse 1 right on to the end of verse 30. But I want to hone in. I'm just going to do one verse and then I'm going to tell the story. I like telling stories. But I'm going to, the story's theme is based on verse 28. Here it is. The man of God, it was a prophet. The man of God came up and told the king of Israel, this is what the Lord says. Here it is. Because the Arameans think the Lord is a God of the hills or the mountains and not a God of the valleys. This is God saying this. I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I am the Lord. So Father in heaven, we just ask you before we get into this, your spirit to illuminate your word to our understanding so that we might be changed in light of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, 
Let me tell you the story. Story of Benadad. Everybody say Benadad. Okay, not necessarily a name you'll call your son or your grandson. Benadad. And the other guy in the story, his name is Ahab. Ever say Ahab. Two easy names. Not like Tiglath Pilosar II. So Benadab and Ahab. Benadab of a a region of people that were uh, people that never had really known Jehovah God. Ahab was the king of Israel, and he was no godly king by any stretch of the imagination. But this was the covenant people that God had raised up to carry his covenant through to the New Testament. So these two characters. So Benadad, king of uh, the Arameans, marched into Israel to conquer it. So this is the story of 1 Kings 20. And King Benadab expected nothing more than a token resistance because they far outpowered little Israel. Israel, their capital, was Samaria at the time. It was a prosperous and a walled city. They only had a few thousand defenders of their walled city. Benadad, on the other hand, rode at the head of 32 armies. <laughs> That's intimidating. 32 armies. And each army had a commanding sub-king. He had, besides that, tens of thousands of infantry, plus cavalry, chariots. He had it all. For his part, again, king of Israel, King Ahab, no hero, no man of integrity himself, but he was willing to try to stop this war. He saw it happening. They, the army was there at their doors. So trying to stop it and to push it back, he was willing, he sent out a note, he was willing to pay a hefty tribute to avoid utter devastation at the hands of such a mighty host. Ahab, a wicked king, married, who did he marry you know? Jezebel, Queen Jezebel, and she was no princess. And that was his price of survival, having been married to her. It was his survival. So he sent out a note to Benadab saying, we'll give you, we'll give you all our money. Have to, you, can, you can take it all. What he wasn't ready for was Benadab's response. Here was the response back from Benadab. Benadab responded by saying, no, here's, here's the tribute you're going to pay. You need to open wide all your gates while every person from king to peasant stand aside. We will loot your city, your businesses, and your homes. And we will take whatever we want. And we will take if we want your wives and we will take if, you, if we want your daughters. They're ours. Accept it. Or be destroyed. What would you do? Okay, there's a real story. King Ahab realized this was an impossible demand. If the invaders were going to pillage them anyway, you might as well go out kicking and fighting. Resistance seemed futile, but voluntary genocide was not a good alternative. So King Ahab sent back a message to Benadab. It was very simple. No. Then became pre-war psychological warfare. Happens in all our wars. You begin to, it's a battle of the words. 
pre-war psychological warfare. The whole idea behind this is that you hope to taunt, intimidate, and that you will weaken the resolve of the other. We do it today. Benadad began, sent a note to Israel. Look at my armies. We are an alliance of 32 powerful kingdoms. A mighty strength across. Take an honest look at us. And we have looked at you. And we know what you have. Compared to us, this is what he said. We know you've only got an army of 7,000. And he said that you are but a handful of dust to us. Okay, that's pretty intimidating. Ahab responded. Want to know what his response was? Strap on your armor, but remember, when a soldier is dead on the battlefield, someone else takes it off. Hmm. The war of words. Benadab knew, though, it's time for war. But he also knew that the walled city of Samaria was a pretty fortified city. It wouldn't be conquered overnight. It was going to require plans. It was going to require strategy. It was going to cost them. It was going to cost them time. And it was going to cost them some lives. Because the walls fortified that city. So first things first. A night of pre-war orgy of alcohol. That would do it. That'll get all the soldiers in the right spirit. So tonight we party. Alcohol flows. That's the story. So party they did. 32 kings plus Benadad. So here you have Benadad, the 32 kings, drunk as a skunk. When an Israeli delegation of 232 exactly rides straight into the Aramean camp that night while they're partying it up and they slaughter all 32 kings. <laughs> Benadad himself escaped. And then 7,000 of them, that's all, 7,000 of them plunged into the Aramean camp, threw the camp into panic, and there was a great victory that night. Israel's victory was absolute. It was quite a day. Would have been, wouldn't have it. But it's temporary. Israel, have you heard the expression, poke the bear? You don't want to poke the bear. They had just poked the bear. <laughs> Benadad would be back, and he wouldn't be so gullible next time. Sure enough, right after the defeat, the vengeful king summoned his wise counsel and demanded, whose fault was this? One diplomatic advisor offered a very spiritual reason why the victory went to Samaria that day. Here was his reason. He said, your majesty. He said, Samaria is on a mountaintop. That was the cause of our defeat. The God of Israel is a God of the mountains. He's not a God of the valley, though. If we can but lure them out of their mountains down into the plains below, their God of the mountain cannot protect them. There's the story. Now, we're going somewhere with this story. This story took place, 1 Kings 20. Bring them down because the God of the mountain is not also the God of the valley. You knew where we're going with this, don't you? Because God, our God, is not simply the God of the mountain. Finish it for me. He is also the what? He's the God of the valleys. He's the God of the valleys. 
this was music to Benadad's ears. A god of the mountains could not be also the god of the valley. So the campaign would begin next spring. They recruited, they rallied back, and they would have success in the spring because they would fight it in the valley where their god would be impotent and would bring help. Now, how many here know God hears every word? God hears your thoughts. So God responded to this to the king Ahab. He sent a word prophetically. He dispatched a prophet to King Ahab. This is our text, 1 Kings 20, 28. I'm going to go back and I'm going to read it again. Now we know the story behind it. The man of God came and told the king of Israel, this is what the Lord says. Because the Arameans think the Lord is the God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I am Lord. God was going to make it clear that day when the battle would rage that the Lord of all life is the Lord of the valleys, no less than the Lord of the mountains. On the mountaintops is where we fight our fears. Because when we look down and we look into the valleys, we don't want to go. We do anything at any cost not to be in the valleys. We want to stay in the mountains when blessings are flowing, when we see the goodness of God, when we see uh, prosperity, we see increase. We want to live there. We want to stay there. We want to camp there. Wasn't it Peter, James, and John who said to the Lord, let's camp up on that little hill? You see, the valleys, we got the demonized and the ugly and the hurting and the wounded and the broken and death, darkness and disease and despair, and depression. Let's stay in the mountain. Mountains where we want to be. The mountains what we perceive. And again, remember I started off today by saying I've recognized, I call this the Aramean miscalculation or the Syrian miscalculation. It is this. The miscalculation is the God of the mountain is not the God of the valley. That's a miscalculation. That as long as God is blessing you, praise God. But in the times when you are in loneliness, the times when you are in pain, in suffering, in the difficulties, you're surrounded by death and darkness and loneliness and despair. Well, he's not the same God there. If we could just get back to the God of the mountains. If we could just get back. You see, in the mountaintops, we desire to be there because sometimes, psychologically, many times, we subconsciously think he's the God of the mountains too. Our Western culture has largely bought into that, the assumption that God rules, lives, and proves himself in the victories. And when we hear testimonies, and I like testimonies as much as all of us, I like to hear what God has done and is doing. I look forward to them. I live for them, as a matter of fact. But as true as that is, sometimes at the end of the testimony, I start to feel kind of down because I start to look at my situation, and I'm pretty disturbed. And I wonder, where are you, God, for me? Whether I say it or not, it's there because I wish he would bless me like that. I compare myself. I compare myself. I want the God of the mountain back again. And we begin to feel like we're defenseless in the valley. But listen, beloved, this morning, nothing could be further from the truth. Listen to the story. God is the God of the mountains, and he is also, finish it, the God of the valleys. I want to share three truths out of this. Number one, unshackle God. 
When Benadad and the, and the Arameans invaded the second time in spring, it would be logical for the Israelis, it would be natural, it would make sense to do what was proven successful before. If you were successful doing this, why change it? But this is to limit God. We all here know that God is a God of creativity. As a matter of fact, take a look at the world. He created this amazing planet. And then if you wonder how creative he is, look at the people around you. We are so unique from one another. The beauty of this world and the uniqueness of individuals, this is a creative God we serve. So why is it we shackle him into limited thinking? The first point I believe that we got to grab a hold of this, we need to unshackle him from limited thinking. By demanding that God do the same thing in the same way is to shackle him with my small expectations. So when I look back to a previous pastor and I wish we could go back to that day, I've just shackled God. Hello? When I hear of a revival, when I've seen a moment where God has moved, and I wish I could go back to that moment, I'm shackling him. I'm chaining him to say, that's how you move. You have to move that way again. I think God, by his spirit, is saying, unshackle me. You see, if the Israelites had simply followed the plan of what succeeded prior, they would not have won the second victory. Take the chains off, God. To embrace the valleys as well as the mountains is to unchain God. So what did the Israelite army do based on the word of the Lord? They left their fortress. They left their safety. They left the place of proven victory. And they went down into the valley. The scripture tells the stories you read through. The second battle. They plunged down upon the Arameans exactly like who they were. They were the wrath of God. And in the second battle, 100,000 Arameans were killed in 24 hours. The ratio of soldier to soldier was 1 to 10. 100,000 were wiped out by 10,000 Israelis. That's crazy. And they were disadvantaged. They had no chariots. They had, no, they had none of the stuff the others had. They just came off the mountain into the valley and fought the battle in the place of need and pain. And then, if that didn't top it all off, God collapsed a wall and killed 27,000 more Arameans. 127,000 died in 24 hours. For the people of God, wow, this was a victory. It was not a victory on the mountain. It was a victory where? In the valley. It was a victory in the valley. Listen to this. The hardest proposition for many of us here is to accept this morning is that a God may, for any reason, lead you out of your safe, secure city of refuge into a valley of struggle and pain. And we fight that. And the hardest thing is to accept that God might have led you there. You need to embrace. You need to accept and unshackle God. His ways are higher than my ways. His ways are broader than my ways. I'll never understand it. Don't try. Just believe that the God of the mountains, finish it for me, is he's a God of the valleys. That's the story. He's a God of the valleys. Unshackle God. Unchain God from your demands of having a walled blessing. 
Unchain God from having to prosper all the time. Unchain him from having to always be happy. Seriously? Seriously? <laughs> Unshackled God. Life, all of life, all of it, in the mountains and in the valleys, is a gift from God. How will you ever then know the comfort of his presence in darkness if you keep trying to run from light to light to light to light? So there, where you are, where you are now, recognize he is the God of the valley as well. Uh, how will you ever learn what it means that he is husband to the husbandless, he is father to the fatherless, until you weep beside a casket in the valley? Uh, unshackle God. This past week, just a little illustration, I was at the office, and about every month I receive either email letters from people going on the mission field, starting a ministry someplace, and they need financial support. Uh, we are one of many that would receive a letter, and they're soliciting some financial support. And that was nonetheless here just this past week. A couple of days ago, a letter came in. A family was going to a mission field. They have starting up. They really felt called of God. They're trying to garnish some support, and they were asking if AC could support them, uh, be part of their partners uh, in, as they go. They have from now until the, till the end of December to see if they can raise enough money to make this possible. They have six kids in their home. Six. Oh, my goodness. We're really maxed out. Uh, we have about 10 mission obligations we give to every month, and our finances have been decreasing in this pandemic, decreasing to the tune of about 8000 a month. We bleed out 8000 a month. Just for your sake to know that. So it's, um, God has provided but that's the reality. And so I had to write another one of those letters. I, I really don't like writing those letters. It was a letter, and, and it, it tricky. It's really tricky. Because I want to encourage them. I want to bless them. But I can't, we, we can't help right now. It's just the reality. And so I was writing the letter, and I finished up the letter. And just like, I encourage you. Like, I really believe God's calling you to this. God will supply your need. It's really hard saying that when you don't do it, right? I really believe God will supply your need. And, and I finished the letter, and I was about to hit print and throw it off on the printer, and the Lord nudged me. He flicked me. And he says, but you can help. You see, the letter was about the church. But God was talking to me. He says, you can help. He says, you've got a God pocket. Now, for those who don't know about the God pocket, if you're not a part, you've, I talk about my, I don't boast about it. I just talk about, I return the tithes to the Lord. That's what I do because that's my first fruit giving. That's his anyway. But I also have a God pocket. Every time I receive a check, I take a portion off that and slip it into a second compartment in my wallet. And I call it my God pocket because as soon as I do that, it's not mine anymore. It is the most wonderful pocket I have. I can give it away because it never hurts. Because it's not mine. I love giving someone else's money away. And, and you're saying, oh, look at me. If you want to give me some money, enjoy it. I'll take it. You heard the expression, it's more blessed to what than to receive? more blessed to give. And so this little God pocket, and the Lord nudged me and said, my heart, but you can do something. You've got a God pocket. So I picked up my wallet, looked into my God pocket, and there it was sitting. And uh, I thought, you know, I do. I can do something about it. And not just a little. I need to do something substantial. Because there's six kids watching this. There are six children watching to see if God's going to prove himself to mom and dad. And they get a pile of rejected letters. So, 
I thought, okay, before I talk myself out of it, Lori and I always call. So I called Lori. <laughs> She's at work. Lori, I think we're to do this. We don't even know this family. I think we're to do this. She said, yeah, let's do it. And she said, I got a number in my head. I said, I got a number in my head. It was the same number. So, and, and we concluded that this, we both agreed that the seed does nothing while sitting in the barns. Only when the seed is planted in soil can it begin to work. It's not going to grow in my wallet. It's not going to grow in my bank account. It's going to grow when I give it away. That's when the seed grows. So I went back to the letter, added a paragraph, and said, but we want to do something. And here's what we, this is a one-time gift, because we want you to know God's in this. God's in this. Know he's in this. Don't lose faith. That was unshackle God. Whatever it is, unchain him from what you've previously done. I don't think I've ever done that before. Unchain him for what you previously have done. Number one, unshackle God. Number two, embrace the battle in the valley of need. Valleys are where lilies bloom. I have a question. Is a lily, a beautiful lily, is a lily more important if it's been manicured in a flower shop for all to see? Is that lily more important than a lily that grows in an obscure valley where nobody sees it? Which is more important? There's a good question. Just because you don't see the one in the valley does not minimize its beauty and importance to the Father. And just because we are planted in the valley, it's in the valley of need God offers grace. It's not in the big high-octane moments. It's in those little constant things where nobody knows what's going on. God sees it. And is a lily any less valuable there? I remember a story years ago told of a missionary in Mexico. And he was, uh, he'd been in Mexico for years and gone through many difficulty, but had seen great results. And every time they would have a major problem, he would be known to say, I'm really excited about this. Right? When everybody else is going, what are we going to do? The missionary would be known to say, I'm really excited about this. And it would aggravate the people around him saying, what's so exciting about this major catastrophe, whatever they were facing? Because he would saying, because I'm so excited about what God is about. And so I grabbed a hold of that. We were on a mission trip Laurie, myself, and a team of about uh, half a dozen to Cuba about five, six years ago. We were in the mountains in the Baracoa region, which is a very mountainous region, and uh, we were staying away from the resort areas. We are uh, in a very remote area. We were bouncing along. Us, we had translators. We had pastors with us, and we're bouncing along. We just started up this, and it was, in a, it was a mountain, and it was just... I look at it, it's impassable. We would, you would never take your vehicle up there, even some of your Jeeps, like, you know, oh, I really want to go up there. It's really a horrible going up. Nobody's on. We started up, we just got started up, coming out of the valley, if you would believe, coming out of the valley, and clunk, our drivetrain dropped out of our vehicle. Like, we all got out, looked out, I got pictures of it. There's the, it's laying underneath the vehicle. It's like, really? Huh. Oh. 
And I'm remembering stories like this. Wayne, you're supposed to get excited now. Everything in me is not excited, but get excited. So we're standing in the middle of the day. It's about three in the afternoon, middle of the day, standing there under the heat, sweating, luggage, pulled all the stuff out of the vehicle. There's about a dozen of us standing. And we, I look around. All us Canadians are standing in the sun. And I look over. You know, the Cubans, they found shade. So it's like, well, let's at least go to the shade. So there's a little blessing there. Went over in the shade. And it's like, it's going to take a long time. We've got to put the drive back in, the, the drive shaft. Looked up. And coming over the mountain, the sky was black. We could see lightning flash. And we got, seriously? And it was coming at us. And it was coming. And we're going, what do we do? We're in the no- middle of nowhere. What do we do? And it got, and it was just coming over top of us. And lightning everywhere. And we're just like, what are we going to do? And then some Cubans come across the field. And they say, come, get out of the storm. You can, you can stay with us. Well, we looked to where it was, and it was a little hut. So 12 of us or so pick up our luggage, and just as we got there, the heavens opened up. It poured. It came down sideways. It went to tropical storm, one of those pop-up things that hit. And it came down sideways, and we were inside this home. And I was thinking, he's a great God. We're in the home, and while us Canadians are huddled together talking about what just happened, looked over, and our Cuban pastors are in Spanish talking away these families sharing the gospel with this family who had never heard the gospel. Now, wasn't that a miracle? So for one hour, sharing the gospel with this family who had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Skies all clear up. We grab our luggage. We're like, what do we do now? We asked the family and they said, well, you know, really nobody travels that road. Once a day, but it's late in the day, but once a day there has been a vehicle that goes by and we'll pick up some people if they need to. But like once a day, nobody travels. There's donkeys, there's horses, there's ponies. Other than that, the road is untraveled. So we took our luggage back to the road. The vehicle's still there with the drivetrain sitting down on the ground. And uh, we look at the bottom of the hill and what's coming up the hill. We call it the, uh, what's it called? The, um, it's a Russian-owned people mover. It's a people mover. That's what they called it. People mover. And when Russia left Cuba back in 91, they left all their equipment. And it's like these big war machines and this big, like the wheels are four to five feet high, massive. And it's coming up the hill just as we got back. And they stopped. They had just enough room for us and our luggage. We all hopped in. They dropped us off at the door. I want to tell you, the God of the mountains is the God of the valley. Embrace God in the battle of need, the valley of need. Uh, What could be more exciting than what God wants to do in the middle of these times? And I want to say, in the times we live in, embrace God in this time of need. You know, I was sharing yesterday with a couple who were a little discouraged because this pandemic has weighed on. I said, you know, I was thinking of my message. God is right in the middle of this. Embrace him right now. Don't wait for this to get over. God challenged us as a church. What are you going to do in the pandemic? So we just believe God. He's going to do things that we've never done. And you all know the story. Pastor Trish was calling you into the fourth segment of our story. Back last December, we reached out to 27 families, victim service families, and helped them through a very difficult year. We'd never done that before. We went to a nursing home and gave essential care workers on Christmas Day a heated meal. 
to say thank you. We've never done that before. That was so exciting in our valley of need. Then we went and we went to the hospital of 200 custodians. And we gave them a free pass to have a donut and a coffee. God bless you, we're praying for you. And then we went to some school teachers, some of our school teachers, some of you. And then a daycare just a couple of months ago and gave them a gift certificate and said, we want you to know we're thinking about you, praying for you. God bless you. And now next month, we're going to go to the police. They've had a tough year. We're going to go to the ambulance service, fire service, and say, we want you to know we're praying for you. We're believing in you. God's on your side. Now ask me if we would have thought of that two years ago. But in our time of valley, we embrace the valley of need. And God has opened up. I did math, 200 to 250 to 275 people. We've somehow said, Jesus loves you in a different way that we wouldn't have if we didn't embrace the valley of need. Listen, beloved, on a single individual basis, this is where God flourishes. He's not only the God of the mountains, but finish it. He's the God of the valley. So embrace the God of the valley. That's a miracle that could only have happened in a broken down blast furnace. Valleys are where miracles bloom. Hmm. So unshackle God. Embrace the battle, the valley of need. And I want to close with the last one. It's God's reputation that's on the line. What do I mean by that? Well, the Armenians, when, when they were going into battle, <clears throat> verse 28 says, because the Arameans think this, then God says, you will know that I am Lord. I'm going to correct wrongful thinking. Because they think this, you will know that I am Lord. You see, God came through for them that day. Listen to this. God came through them for them that day, not because of King Ahab. Certainly wasn't because of Jezebel. He didn't come through for them because they were the Israelites, the cherished ones. He didn't come through because he liked the prophet. He didn't come through because Israel was particularly special. God came through because he is God. He came through because it's about his reputation. They challenged his reputation. And God came through. He said that. Because this is how they think, I'm going to show them this is who I am. He vindicated himself for his name's sake. We talk about the song, the name of the Lord is for his name's sake. Remember, every miracle is about God's reputation and about no one else. It was just a few months after Lori and I arrived. We were blessed when we had the invitation to come and to pastor Cornerstone. It was just a few months after we got here that God sent somebody into our life who gave a prophetic word over us. Not unlike the story here. A prophetic word over us, and they told me the word on the phone, and I, I said, um, actually, no, they were in person. They told me the word in person. And I said, send it to me. So they sent me this word, about two and a half pages long. There's one part of this word. I want to read it word for word. This was almost four years ago. It would be about four years ago now. Here's what they said. A word from the Lord to us. According to Holy Spirit, God didn't just bring you to Aurora Cornerstone Church for the sake of the people. You were not just voted in 
or hired by a religious organization for the sole purpose of fixing, restoring, reestablishing, or repairing what was damaged. Neither are you there mainly to increase attendance or to secure their financial stability. God brought you there for no other reason but for his sake, for the restoration of the glory of his name. The reputation of God in the hearts and the minds of his people have been degraded and tarnished. God has brought you to Aurora Cornerstone Church to serve his purpose, to be a vessel in which God can reveal himself through in a greater way to the bride, his church. Don't tell me if I haven't gone back to that a few times. You see, the temptation for us in the West is to think somehow God's endorsing us. You know, the temptation is to think that somehow it's because of us. King Ahab described in 1 Kings chapter 20, man, 21, he was a wicked king. He was not a good guy. He followed idols. He was fully through and through evil as a king. Why would God grant victory over the Arameans? Was it because they were one was less wicked than the other? Was that the reason God did it that day? No. It wasn't because of King Ahab. It was because of God. It was strictly because of his namesake. He even said that. Listen to this. The hope you have in your valley of need is not dependent on you mastering some spiritual walk. The hope of God ministering in your valley of need is not based on you listening to enough sermons, worshiping enough worship services, or learning enough Bible. It's not based on any of that. Your my faith is solely in God's vindication of his name. He vindicates his name. Any act of grace is never about us. It's about God. It's about God. So I come back, unshackle him. He doesn't work in the old ways. Embrace him in the valley of need. Embrace him. He's here. And remember, it's not about you. <laughs> it's about him. It's about him. He will restore his name. He'll restore his name. It was a few years ago I was sharing this principle. I was at a uh, cleansing stream retreat. And it was a Friday night leadership group. We'd gathered around. Uh, Dave Andrews asked me if I'd kind of rally the troops. And so uh, I, I used the scripture of 1 Kings 20 because we were going into a battle. And so I, I shared the story a little bit to what I shared with you this morning. And somebody came up. They're a Bill Gaither listener. And they came up and said, you know Bill Gaither wrote a song called God of the Mountains? Sent me the words. Life is easy when you're up on the mountain and you've got peace of mind like you've never known. But things change when you're down in the valley. Don't lose faith for you're never alone. For the God of the mountain is still God in the valley. When things go wrong, he'll make them right. And the God of the good times is still God in the bad times. The God of the day is still God in the night. Talk of faith way up on the mountain. Talk comes so easy when life had its pain. Now it's down in the valley. Trials and temptations. That's where your faith 
is really put to the test. For the God of the mountains is still God of the valley. When things go wrong, he'll make it right. And the God of the good times is still God in the bad times. The God of the day is still God in the night. The God of the mountains is what? God of the valley. He's the God of the valley. So, Father, I pray that God help us to get this. Help us to learn from the story that would cost so many Aramean lives. At the Aramean miscalculation that you're only a God of the blessing. You're only a God if we do all the right things. You're only a God when success is there. You're only a God when our finances are blessed, when we got good jobs, when, when our children are being blessed. But God, that's the miscalculation because a God of the mountain is also a God of the valley. And it's in those difficult times where we grow, where our character is fashioned, and we need to, God, unshackle you to try to put you back on the mountains again. That victory, the second victory, never would have happened if they didn't go into the valley. Lord, help us to embrace the God of the valley. Help us to embrace the need, the problems, the suffering around us. Instead of running from it. Instead of saying, when I get out of this, I'll serve God. Some who might be even watching by live stream, I'll get back with God when we get out of this pandemic. Oh God, help us to embrace the valley of need. Because there is where you are with extended grace. And Lord, we know it's not because of our goodness. It's not because of a pastor, a prophet, or the name, or a church, or any of that. For your reputation's sake. It's for your name's sake that you come through all the time. Help us to understand that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.